Do you love God but struggle to fit in? Do you have questions that never seem to get answered? Do you just want to have honest conversations about things that matter? Well, let's slow down and take the time to do just that. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. So excited for today's conversation. We are starting today a three-week conversation on something that's very near and dear to my heart, which is the great divide between the Christian community and the LGBTQ community. And today, we hear from a powerhouse, an amazing woman, Miss Mary Carol Woodman. Did God make a mistake? Can he make mistakes? Was I supposed to be born? All my siblings seem to be normal, I guess, in what society thinks is normal. If that doesn't whet your appetite, I don't know what will. So excited. Hey, before we jump in, I always want to make sure that we let you know what's going on with our sponsors. And if you listened last week, we're pretty much in the same boat. So Rise Nutrition is offering all sorts of services online, and they are also offering curbside service. So you can order drinks and get them delivered to your vehicle as you pull up. So make sure you go to Facebook and check out Rise Menominee on Facebook. That's Rise with a Z and support them and support your health and nutrition. Same thing with Infinity Beverages. You can go into their shop, their tasting room there, and order whatever you want. You can't consume anything on the premises, but I really encourage you to go there and support this really meaningful business for the Chippewa Valley. You can also, if you're not from Eau Claire, make sure you go online to infinitybeverages.com and they can deliver directly to your door. All right, here's how we're going to lay out this conversation over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to hear from Mary Carol Woodman, as I already mentioned, and she's got an incredible story to tell. And the reason why we're starting with Mary is because I want us to really feel like we have a face and a person to attach to this conversation. As soon as we make a conversation like this about generalities, the gay community, the Christian community, etc., then we can run into problems really fast. So I want to put a name and, and a face. And not that, you know, Mary Carol Woodman is not the poster child for the LGBT community, although she would be a great one if there was one. But that's not what we're trying to do here. I just want everybody who's listening to hear a real story from a real person, some real struggles, and some real breakthroughs. So that's why we're starting with Mary. Next week, you're going to hear uh, about my journey. This is the first big question I had. Why is there this huge divide between the Christian community and the LGBT Q community. I don't know why this was my first big question, but it was, and it continues to be something that kind of burns at my soul, even to this day. So next week, I'm going to lay out a little bit about my general thoughts. Then the week after that, we have Colby Martin, author Colby Martin and pastor, I should say, of a progressive church down in San Diego. He wrote a book called Unclobber. And he goes through the six passages in the Bible that appear to talk about homosexuality. And he talks about each of the passages. So we're going to have him on so that we can hear more of a biblical approach to this subject. But today we start with Mary Carol Woodman. So let me let you hear a little bit about her roots, about where she comes from, about the beginning of her story. 
I would say I grew up on a rural farm outside of Janesville, Wisconsin. I'm the youngest of nine, six older brothers and two older sisters, which had a big effect on me because they were all mixed. My father was married before and had three boys and a girl. And my mother was married before and had three boys with that first marriage and then a daughter after they divorced. And he didn't really want anything. He didn't want to have any more children. So she had my sister and then my parents met met each other again. They actually went to high school together in Wisconsin. And then years later, ran into each other. And three years later, after they got married, they had me. So I like to say they finally got it right. You know, we didn't have a lot. We just worked a lot and went to a small non-denominational farm church in southern Wisconsin. There wasn't a lot of fire and brimstone, just really good, honest, you know, hardworking farmers and middle class blue collar folk. And I loved the church. You know, I, I loved going to Sunday school. I did not love my mother putting me in dresses and you know, pantyhose and girly things, which I eventually talked her out of. I was like, I want overalls and my farm t-shirt. <laughs> she eventually caved. But it was really just about community and the farmers kind of conversing together and what does the other farmer need or do you need help in the fields or, you know, the uh, an elder is sick, we're going to take care of them. So to me, church is more of a community type of thing. And like, we hope the Packers win and the corn grows and yay Jesus and we all went home. Mary found in church at a young age something that so many of us never find, which is a true sense of community. So often we miss that in our modern version of church. Now, I'm a huge believer that God uses all of our life to help develop us into who we are become or maybe just bring out of us who he's already created us to be. This is a bit about how that happened in Mary's life with a bunch of brothers living on a farm. I I mean, I loved growing up on the farm and milking cows, and I learned to be a great athlete because of the six older brothers. And on on our farm, you had a choice. My father was very old-fashioned, went to a one-room schoolhouse, and women belonged in the, you know, doing women's work, and the men did the, what he considered men's work. When I came along, I was the tomboy from the get-go. I mean, I was walking at six or seven months, running by nine. And I just wanted to play with the boys from then on. Like, seriously, I was like, see ya. And so I was the only girl who got it, like, basically had a choice. Like, I could help set the table and pour the milk for all the men and clean the house and do the dishes. Or I could be outside and do the farm work. So I chose that, which I'm grateful for because it made me a hard worker. I'm not afraid of labor, and I'm not afraid to be strong. Like, it helped me become strong and um, tough. You know, you had to be tough to not just play with the boys, but work with the boys. And there was some, you know, abuse along the way. My father was very strict and didn't take kindly to what he considered, you know, back talk. I just thought I was being funny. He did not. And he just had very old-fashioned ways about him, which didn't sit well with me. And it started to define me as a woman very young because I didn't understand how we could go to church and be these Christians, you know, and help all these people. Yet back at home, he was cruel, you know, he made really cool jokes about my mother and and women in general. He was very, like, not very women-friendly. And I just remember at a young age asking questions in church. We had youth organizations that I attended and we went to camps, you know, with all the other farm kids, which was, there was like maybe 10 of us. And the leaders, I would always ask when they'd have open discussions, you know, why this or why, you know, this and that and the other thing, you know, why does this happen at home? I was very honest. And they were like, well, you know, there's always a reason. And and I always kind of like forgiveness was along the way. 
so many times are questions, especially regarding something like this, especially regarding this idea of hypocrisy. You're hearing one thing in church and you're seeing another thing outside of the church. And a real easy blanket answer is to stick forgiveness and grace in there and kind of wash it over as opposed to really getting to the crux of the question or the issue at hand. Well, these questions and these ponderings and these situations in Mary's life continued to get even deeper, specifically with one of her friends. I mean, when you grow up in rural Wisconsin on a, on a farm, you only get three channels. So you don't get to see a lot of the world and what's out there. And my, one of my best friends lived down the road about a mile away. And he was born, we were born just weeks apart. His mother and my mother were best friends and they were pregnant together. They were going to have children together. And he and I were best friends from the get-go. I was born in February. He was born in the beginning of March. And he was born with, he almost didn't make it. He had to have multiple surgeries. He had spina bifida. They told his mother he probably wouldn't live past like four or five. And we did everything together. You know, I remember getting old enough to ask my mom, why, if God loves us, why would this person who I love have these problems? You know, why this? You know, why does this happen? The answers I got when I questioned my mother about why, the whys in life. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. He's not a mistake because God doesn't make mistakes. You know, but growing up in a somewhat bigoted, abusive household, and knowing from a very early age, like I knew very young that I was gay. And I didn't know what it was. And not being exposed to a lot of the outside world, you think it's normal for a while because I love tomboy things. I could run faster than anybody else. I could throw a football and I just thought it was like gifted, you know. God must think I'm great because he gave me all these talents. But then behind the scenes in my in my room at night, be terrified because I would think, if God doesn't make mistakes, why did he make me this way? would just go round and round in my head, you know, with the answers my elders were giving me at home and at church about the why are people born this way. I had this turmoil inside of me constantly of, you know, if God doesn't make mistakes, am I supposed to be like this? And the older I got, the more it felt like society would have believed I was a mistake. And if you turned on any Christian things, once my eyes started open to the outside world and I got more into the city and made more friends and saw the outside world, I got really scared, you know, and like, people aren't going to love me anymore. They're not going to think I'm Christian. And it really affected me. It wasn't accepted then. And then you feel the aloneness you feel in that was pretty devastating to me. Now, I can't imagine going through something like this at any point in life, but definitely not as a young person like Mary was. And here's the reality. If you don't have support surrounding your questions and your doubts about life, about humanity, about God, about your current situation, if you don't have support, it's only going to get worse. I was mad at myself. I got, I got pretty mad at God at times. And... It really started to affect me to the point where I started to contemplate my life. And there was a point where I, I didn't want to live. You know, I thought, I'm a mistake. God, you really screwed up. You know, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm totally alone. 
yet I was completely wound. I was a star athlete. I just wasn't, I wasn't able to just be me or to save the people who love me most. I think I'm different, you know, I, I think I'm gay. I didn't even talk to the, my church counselors about it because I was so afraid. And then not long after that, it is legit one of the scariest moments of my life, is I remember visiting my parents for something or another, and the news came on about Matthew Shepard. And when it went into depth, I'll probably start crying, about what the torture he had gone through in those days and what these men did to him just for being gay and the evil that transpired. I remember falling to my knees in front of the television and sobbing because I knew inside, to me, I was like, I'm never telling anyone. It put me inside of a shell that it took me until I was in my mid-30s to talk about. You know, a decade or so later, I hit it. I hit it in my career. You know, I got into country music, I got into radio. I had a very successful career in radio. And I mean, I hit it. I mean, I, I married a man. You know, I thought, well, this could work. We love the same things and this will give me a normal life and I'll have my career. I won't have to worry about getting fired, which was a huge concern and something I still battle. I have lost jobs because I'm openly gay. You know, it just, it's one of those things where the older you get and society did start to change and my children got older. That was a huge one for me. I remember going to work one morning. I was doing a morning show in Madison. I was very successful. It was the height of my career. And I felt myself not being able to look my daughter in particular in the eye. Like, how am I ever gonna raise these children to be their true selves loving humans and I feel like I'm lying to them every day you know I'm lying to myself and I'm lying to them and I gave it all up I gave my career up I knew I would lose part of my family possibly friends and I came out and that was in my like 33 34 so I'm 44 now so yeah a decade ago I just decided that inner happiness and peace and the and the love and honesty I wanted my children to have was more important than my paycheck and people who would claim to follow Jesus and to love everyone who would treat me because of it. I'm so sick and tired of people using their belief systems, their religion, their God, their sacred book to protect themselves from whatever it is they feel uncomfortable with. Now, the Bible says that God is love. And so if we believe that that is true and we believe in God, how is it even possible that our belief in that God could cause us to bring so much harm to somebody like it has with Mary? We might not be a part of the church that Mary grew up in, but if we're a part of the same belief system, then this is our issue. Then we are at fault. Jesus came to this earth for love. Jesus came to this earth to love. When we make people feel like Mary has felt in her life, one of two things is true. Either Jesus was wrong or we're wrong. I'm going to bet on the latter. My dad wrote me a letter. I came home one day and there was a handwritten letter. And it was maybe three or four pages long. So I read it. 
And then I called him. And I started with dad. I'm so sorry. And I started to choke up a little bit. And he said, well, don't be sorry. I just don't think it's right and natural and Christian. And he started going, and I said, no, 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 stop right there. I'm not sorry for me. I'm sorry for you. And he didn't know what to say. And I said, I mean it, dad. Like, I'm sorry you never left that farm. I'm sorry you went to a one-room schoolhouse and don't know any better. And I'm sorry you've only known the people who visited you on that farm or that church. And I'm sorry you're not going to have me in your life anymore the way I used to be. That is not my choice. Because he said some pretty hard things, you know, about it not being the Lord. You know, he went into religion and not natural, and he didn't raise me to be this way, and he'll never believe it. And he doesn't want anything to do with it. And so that was about it. I did feel free, though. I felt really free for the first time probably ever. And the more people I told, the better it felt and the more love I felt. And I reached out to people who, you know, in the Christian faith and said, what do you think? You know, because it mattered to me. I don't know how honest you want me to be about your wife, about Suzanne, but she saved my life more than a few times, in particular in high school. I don't think I would have lived if I didn't have her love and support and just could feel her unconditional love. Not that she knew anything, but she really is an unconditionally loving spirit in the world. And she gets that from her mother, who also was a huge influence on me. I'm sure I spent more time at her house hanging out with her mom than I did my own family because I felt safe. You know, safe is a big word in the gay community because for most generations, we have not felt safe. And so feeling safe is a big deal, whether it's emotionally, you know, literally, figuratively, it, it really matters. A few things about what Mary just said there. First of all, do we really want to miss out on a relationship that's in front of us just because of some sort of belief system that we've conjured up? Is it really that important to us? And is that really what we believe Jesus would want from us? Secondly, do you want to be a person do I want to be a person? Do we want to be people who make people feel judged, who make people feel like a mistake? Or do we want to be the people, like in Mary's life, do we want to be the people who make others feel safe and valued and cared for? The final thing that I think I'm so blown away with is that even after Mary went through all of this, she still had this desire for God, and she still had a desire to be a part of a Jesus-following, God-loving group of people. I mean, if I went through what Mary went through, I don't think there's any chance that I want that or that I desire that. Quite the opposite. I'm guessing that I would want nothing less than that. But Mary continued to identify and continues to identify herself as a Christian and I want you to hear her perspective on prayer. Prayer does work. And I've realized that in art, there's prayer. In coloring, there's prayer. In building a fire pit, there's prayer. In singing, there's prayer. You know, prayer comes in many different forms to me. And that makes me feel safe. And knowing that if I've done something positive for another human being today, including or just myself, that's a form of prayer. And that helps me feel safe. Because I think sometimes a disconnect, at least for me, 
in my Christianity and my beliefs is, you know, I think it's like meditation. I, I had a woman who does meditation on our podcast. She said the biggest question she gets is that people say, well, I don't do it because I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. And sometimes I think people feel that way about prayer. At least I did sometimes. Like, am I even doing this right? Is this how I'm intended to pray? And once somebody validated with me that prayer comes in many forms, it could be in picking weeds or mowing your lawn or helping the neighbor get her groceries and drawing a picture. And it made me feel so much more connected to my faith because I think internally, I guess just as a Christian, that safety and knowing that the Lord in which I believe him to be is with me always, whether it's through my voice, through a show I've done, through things I've said. Now, am I always graceful? Not always. I'm very passionate. So if I think somebody's harming another human being or a population, I do tend to get a little passionate and not as graceful. Do I reach for grace? Always. I've taken on this more recent thought in my mind that it's much less about what we believe and much more about how we believe. That Jesus came to this earth not to show us as much what to believe, but instead how to believe it. Mary's last statement there, do I reach for grace always? Maybe that is the question that we should all be asking ourselves every single day. Let's worry less about the details and more about that just big question, do I reach for grace? I mean, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor. To me, that sounds like a question of, am I reaching for grace every single day? always extremely inspired by people who use their really challenging stories and turn it around for something that's really good. And Mary is doing exactly that. Now, her coming out and being true to who she really is ended up costing her a lot, especially in her career. But now she's continued to do what she's great at. She's continuing to use her voice to make a difference in this world. And she's doing that through podcasting, much like what we do here on Jesus Never Ran. And she's doing it by giving a voice to people whose voices need to be heard. Well, I started podcasting late 2015. Um, I'd been in radio for 20 some years and I could see media changing. So when we started that show, it, it really became about giving the LGBTQ community a voice and in particular lesbians. I know it's going to sound strange, but even in the gay community, women tend to have less of a voice. And I thought, well, this would be our chance to give not only the gay community a voice and people who feel underappreciated, but also women. And it really started to take off. And what organically and authentically started to happen was it just became a voice for women. And we had an enormous amount of women, gay, straight, it didn't matter. In fact, most of them, most of our listeners out of 25,000 were straight who just appreciated our honesty when we talked about abuse or marriage or raising children or living through breast cancer or, you know, relationships. They just appreciated, you know, three to four women at a time sharing experiences and talking about it in a real honest way, not degrading or vulgar, but just in a really honest way about our lives. But in this time, it, after the election and after the world like, kind of went through a shift, it became really hard to keep it positive. And it started to get depressing for me to be a part of my own show because it was as if the world wasn't giving us anything positive to talk about. It weighs on you after a while. If you, know, if you talk negative all the time, you're going to be a negative person. If you talk positive all the time, you'd be a positive person. 
one of my favorite coaches in my entire life. She taught me more about life than anybody. Caught me screwing around, swinging a bat at practice one day. Cultural. And she hollered over at me, number 20, what are you doing? So I'm just messing around. She goes, do you know it takes at least 20 good swings to make up for that one bad swing? She goes, I want you to remember that the rest of your life. And I do, because every time I screw around or do something negative, I automatically think I need to do 20 positive things right now to make up for that one bad thing. So this time around, I thought, what the world needs now? I mean, obviously, it's love. So I wanted to be, again, about women, for women, in all genres, in all races. You know, we're in, I'm in Atlanta, so that's everyone. You know, we have Muslim friends. We have Black friends. We have Asian friends. We have, you know, friends from all over the world or all different ethnic backgrounds who have incredible stories and are incredibly successful in what they do and are leaders in their community. And I just thought if we can start sharing our stories and the more voices, the better and do it in a positive way. Once one rises, we all rise is how I looked at it. So our show, which initially is called shut up, Mary, because clearly I talk a lot and um, I wanted the name changed, even though it was kind of a brand here. Because I just didn't feel like it sounded positive anymore. It kind of had an old cloud over it of, you know, the world kind of taking a downward spiral, it felt like. So we renamed it Morning Darling. And it's a morning show still. We do it Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. One of my favorite lines was from the movie Robots. See a need, fill a need. And so whatever the need is, we're going to try and fill it. Now, I will put all the information for Mary's show and her podcast and her business in the show notes, so be sure to check it out and support the work that she's doing in Atlanta. So important, so needed. Now, I wasn't going to let Mary get away without asking her one final question. As a person that has been a part of church circles and faith groups that have been oppressive, not only in my life, but throughout history, I wanted to hear firsthand from somebody who's gone through real difficult times because of the systems that I've been a part of. I wanted to hear from Mary some advice that she has for people like me. If you feel somebody's uncomfortable or doesn't feel like they fit in, try to make them feel loved and and safe, like you're safe here. Even just to say it out loud, just so you know you're safe with me. And you can tell me anything, and I'll be there. And that's not going to change. Because that goes, that's a game changer. Like, that's a life saver for someone to say, you're safe here. You don't have to leave this space, and I'm not going to stop loving you. Because at any human, all you want from the time you're born is just to feel love, you know. People don't know they're born a different color or what their sexuality is. They just know they want to they wanna feel love. I think an appropriate response to Mary's story is for all of us to simply look around ourselves and ask ourselves the question, who around us needs to know that they're safe? Who around us needs to know that they're loved and that they're valued? And then that we would be the person that lets them know that they are. That, to me, lines up with the teaching of Jesus more than any sort of theology around really anything. Can we make people feel loved? Can we make people feel valued? 
special thanks to Mary Carol Woodman for getting this conversation started. As I mentioned, next week we are going to dig in deeper to the conversation about the Christian church and Christians in general and the LGBTQ community. And then the following week, we're going to hear from Colby Martin about his book, Unclobbered, about digging into the six passages in the Bible that at least appear to talk negatively about people who are in the LGBT community. Until next time, keep walking.